From the dairy fields of Minnesota to the football grounds of Australia, Freeze and USA Revolution veteran Brett Mergen is our guest this week. As is a former national champion in both Australian rules football and sumo wrestling, Caitlin Masher Mace of the Denver Lady Bulldogs. That's what's coming up. This is Episode 9 of the Marks and Stripes USAFL Podcast. Good day, everyone. My name is Brian Barish. It's great to have your company once again for another edition of the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast, the official podcast of the United States Australian Football League. We have a delightfully eclectic show for you this week. Two people who are known for more than just uh, Aussie rules football and uh, whose, whose backgrounds really shaped who they are both on the field and off the field. Later on, we'll be talking with Brett Mergen of the Minnesota Freeze, who uh, is part of the university program at St. John University in Minnesota, spent some time playing in Australia as part of the Australian Exchange Program, uh, as well as being a member of three national championship teams with the Minnesota Freeze and a member of the USA Revolution and a couple of international cups, which is pretty exciting. Uh, also, an international cup veteran is Caitlin Masher Mace of the Denver Lady Bulldogs, who won three national championships as part of that six year string and also has a very diverse sports background, including, as I mentioned, sumo wrestling. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, just recapping from last week when we mentioned the beginning of the USAFL webinar series. And if you remember, we played an excerpt of Ray Chamberlain's Q&A. It was a, a fantastic hour and 15 minutes of uh, questions and stories with uh, Razor Ray Chamberlain, who, who many people know as one of the, uh, I guess, the most personable, probably the the biggest personality of all of the umpires, and also, I guess, across the entire sport of Australian football. Uh, he was kind enough to join us, and you can watch back that entire webinar on our website at usafl.com. You can also check out the other two webinars that we had as well this past week. On Monday, May 18th, we had the first USAFL Players webinar, which was hosted by two coaches, James Henderson of the Dallas Dingoes and Mark Fisher of the Minnesota Freeze. And of course, we'll be talking to one of Mark's players and Brent Morgan a little bit later on. But it was a, it was a great session uh, covering the basics. It was really geared not only towards, uh, I, I guess, a refresher session for the veteran players, but uh, it was great information for you know newer players in the game not just uh you know skills and tips and whatnot but also uh they i believe they did a a slang session as well like what different things meant uh on the football field like clanger for example uh you hear that a lot and and, and what's a clanger well i've made a few of those i'm sure in in, in coming up with this podcast among other things but uh <laughs> but but great session by the two of them so you can you can watch that on that page again on our website and also on Tuesday night, May 19th, Geelong AFLW coach Paul Hood gave a very informational session on coaching women's football. I don't think a lot of people realize that the women's game is very different from men's football in terms of uh, the philosophy, the skills, uh, and really the technique in coaching. Uh, there was a, I know he had given an example of, of avoiding congestion around the football, for example. I know he talked about uh, creating a game plan and having a, having 
having a vision uh, about how you uh, enter each game, how you visualize each game, as well as 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 more from a high level as well uh, for the team. Uh, so, especially with the growth of women's football here in the U.S., we have more than two dozen women's teams now across the country, which is fantastic. So uh, our thanks to Paul Hood for joining us to doing that. Again, go on our website, usafl.com, to see that video in its entirety. It's about 90 minutes or so, so uh, a lot of great information there. Also on that page, you'll see a, a lot of stuff that's coming down the pike so you can keep your eyes on, uh, keep your eyes out for in, in the coming weeks, including more USAFL uh, player webinar sessions. So that's that. Now, the other thing that uh, you want to keep your eye out for is the plan to return to play. There's been a couple of football organizations, uh, such as in AFL Queensland and our neighbors to the north, AFL Canada, for example, that have uh, come out with plans on returning to the regular season and resuming the season uh, in 2020 once local authorities have given clearance for us to do so. And it's very important to remember that the USAFL board is making these decisions with the safety of all of you in mind, the players, the coaches, the, the staff, the spectators, everybody. So Keep an eye out for that in the next couple of days and weeks as the USAFL board uh, helps us all return to some semblance of normal following uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, that's all for old business and new business. Let's get down to brass tacks and our two guests. A little bit later on, we'll be talking with Denver Lady Bulldogs player, sumo wrestler, and reverend, Caitlin Masher Mace, and we'll be talking to her, uh, among other things, about how the game of Australian rules football saved her life. But first, we head to the land of 10,000 lakes and talk to Minnesota Freeze veteran and USA Revolution alumni, Brent Mergen. The history of the Minnesota Freeze is dotted with consistency. Three Division II men's titles, including a thrilling win over Portland in 2018, and a women's side that has constantly been one of the largest and most improved programs over the last decade. They also have been well represented for both the Revolution and Freedom national teams. One player who has tasted success for both club and country is a man from a town in central Minnesota called Farming. His name is Brent Mergen, and he joins us on the Marks and Stripes podcast. Mergo, how you going? Good. How are you, baby? Uh, it's another day in paradise, as we always say. Great, great uh, to, to hear from you and uh, hope you're doing well uh, with all the craziness going on. We're going to start at the beginning like we do with everybody here. And I want to know, how did you, Brett Mergen, uh, get into uh, Aussie Rules football? Well, uh, 2006, I had a semester of study abroad uh, from St. John's University over to uh, University of Notre Dame and Fremantle. And there's this great uh, local legend over there by the name of Tony Fairhead that uh, came across the campus and introduced all the American kids to footy. So I was just one of the boys at the time, and the Johnnies and a few from Boston College and a few from Portland and a few from Notre Dame just got into the culture of Australia playing this game that we never uh, experienced or heard of before, but so we got introduced by some volunteers and players of the South Fremantle Football Club. 
So we had uh, our kicks on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Got to share the same field that the Fremantle Dockers and the South Frio Bulldogs played on. Well, that's fantastic. And if I remember correctly, Mergo, when you got back to St. John, you actually helped uh, start a uh, started a program there. Right. Um, there was so we had two very strong semesters back to back of study abroad students that uh, experienced the Australia and the footy down in Western Australia. And when we were back on campus as seniors, we began a, a footy club, probably the first ever footy club in Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, we named ourselves the St. John's uh, Yankaroos. <laughs> um, so from there, I remember we had a national tournament in Nashville we went to. So we got to play the likes of the North Carolina Tar Heels and NC State and Vanderbilt. So that was a good first college experience. I remember that, or at least reading about it when it happened, and it was great that uh, so many university students could get involved. Now, not long after that was the uh, formation of the Freeze. How did you get into, uh, how did you find out about the Minnesota Freeze? I was uh, just one of those, geez, I was just a follower at the time. Uh, A few of these classmates that stayed abroad and came back from Australia, they knew about the freeze, and I did not. They And they said, uh, let's go on a road trip. We're going to Milwaukee for a footy game. So we jumped in a little, like, RAV4, five people deep, and drove, geez, six hours across Minnesota, all the way across Wisconsin to the shores of uh, Lake Michigan and played our first two footy games in the USA. AFL. So that was the first experience, and that was just, geez, about a month before Nationals of 07. Wow. And you've been been stuck with it ever since. And, yep, been, yep, never looked back. It's been a great experience. It's been a, yeah, my close mates, people I like to see, and enjoying a sport I love. That's fantastic. Now, talk about the early days with the freeze, um, because you guys won, uh, you mentioned 2007, but you ended up winning uh, the national championship that first year. What were those first years like for you? Uh, You know, how much playing in South Fremantle, how much did that that help you as a player and and ergo help the team? Mm. Well, I, I know I... So let's say going to Nationals in 07 is in Louisville. A few of us made a road trip of it rather than flying, being the poor college kids we were. So 12 hours later, we get over to Louisville on Friday night. And um, first game, I was sitting on the bench and probably had five minutes of game time. The second game, I started and played about half the game. By the third game was just getting more involved in the championship game. I never left the field. So I think even at that stage, I was eight games into my career of playing footy. Oh, wow. And uh, learning a lot about it just on the fly. 
Huh. You know, Beck I, at the time, Jason Becker and Diesel were coaches in Minnesota, so they had a lot to do with it. You know, even looking back at South Fremantle, probably even more experienced and let's say, you know, better, more educated coaches, but then at the same time, we were so young and so green in the sport. You know, just the learning curve, there's probably a lot that was over our heads rather than, you know, then then absorbed. Right. Now, you had played, we mentioned that team, that 07 team. You guys won the Division II title in 2012, and we mentioned the 2018 team. What was the hallmark of those teams? What made those teams uh, so successful in your mind? I think every year is just so different. You know, you have a few Aussies that might move into town with a career path or a few that might leave town. Um, on the other hand, it footy, I think, is such a big commitment. And let's say in Minnesota, we have a, a shortened summer, so people try to enjoy their weekends in other ways too. So you don't – just over time, I think the personnel and who's on the field can change so rapidly. I think in a year where you have everyone motivated and there – and bought into the chance that we have an opportunity to win it, I think that just adds up. And you see guys like Weaver and Justin Hobble that have been there with myself for all three of the D2 titles on the field. It's like sometimes, uh, you know, you just you need some... You just need things to click. You need things to click, and you need everyone committed to being there. Yep. And and what I am interested in is I know that that success in Division Two uh, led to you guys playing in Division One for a few years. In fact, uh, you got to play in Division One at Nationals this year. Um, what was the mindset kind of going into it? Because I know earlier in the year at the Central Regional, uh, you, you played Denver, and Denver won, uh, even though you were competitive, Denver won pretty pretty convincingly, as well as Austin, who, of course, would go on to win the national championship. But you were playing a Division One against all of these teams. How did you guys... Uh, how did you guys approach it? What was the feeling afterwards? And and how did being in Division One measure up with all those years previously at the beginning of the decade when you were in Division One? Um, going up to Division One, I, I think this past year we just had the thought that it's time for us to step up and you know play with the big boys. You know that you know let's step up to the challenge. We might get pummeled by. Austin by Denver by Golden Gate whatever you know we've stayed in Division 2 for a few years where we had the opportunity to beat some teams mm, easily and you know while also being very competitive with others so there's I don't think in any sport there's never a 
an equal playing field, like there might be better teams this year, and it's going to be a better team and a different team next year. So for us, we just uh, look forward to the opportunity to step up to the challenge and see what we can do, and that by the end of Nationals, I think we, in last year we walked away with one win, and we're happy with that. And we could also look back and learn from what we gained from the weekend. You know, is that more fitness, more commitment, more um, more knowledge of the game. You know, there's things we can always improve as individuals and things you can improve as in a team. So I think, um, yeah, we had a lot of takeaways from the last opportunity in Division One. Now, you mentioned stepping up to the challenge. Uh, you were one of the first uh, players to go over as part of the U.S. AFL's exchange program. And you mentioned Tony Fairhead. I know he was very instrumental in you going over to a town called Denmark in Western Australia. And you not just played, but you also, I believe, uh, worked as well. And you spent a, a year down there. Um, and that is an exchange program that still exists today, especially with the Tony Fairhead scholarship program uh, going on, but it, tell us, describe to us what it was like uh, going all the way over there just for the purpose of playing football. Well, it was a hard one to break to my parents because I just finished, I just graduated from college with an accounting degree, and my, I know we, well, there was a recession at the time, 2008, and my top opportunity was I'm leaving and I'm going to Australia to play footy. You know, they didn't believe that there's a lot of weight behind that answer, but um, with a knowing Tony and some plans he had in place, I knew I was set for a great year ahead. So I'm with a teammate and a college friend from here in Minnesota, Tiger, Andrew Werner, and myself, we uh, head down to Western Australia, and there we were opponents. So we got the experience of a host family that took care of us, and we've I know we both were organized with a vehicle and lined up with jobs as well. I know for my experience, I... I got to build a resume. So I was an internal accountant for a local uh, grocery store chain. So that family-owned chain was also a supporter of the footy team I was on, uh, the Denmark Magpies. So that was a, yeah, a very good experience and just got to be a part of the community. How did that make you a better footballer? Was there anything about playing in that environment that you took with you as you went forward in your career? Yeah, it was my fifth year playing footy. And also the first year I began dropping the footy with one hand to my boot. So I think that was the first key thing on field. And the other thing I really picked up on is how fast and how tough you have to be to play the game 
in country Australia. Um, yeah, is there's one thing too where when everyone is better than you, you your learning curve just grows exponentially. So it was a it was a great opportunity and something I've always carried it with me since then is that I've never backed down from stepping up as as a defender and playing against you know one of the toughest offensive uh, spearheads for the other team. Yeah, that that would motivate me. I I, I know as it does you. Um, speaking of motivation, um, you got the opportunity that few. Uh, footy players get, and that is to play for the national team. And if memory serves, you actually got to play in two international cups, correct? Yes. So tell us about that experience because, you know, just making it to the team uh, is great and being able to go over and playing in this large tournament. So what was it like to go through that process, to go over and to play? You were one of the few players to have already played in Australia before coming back and playing at the Cup. So just take us through your memories of playing uh, those those two times in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, the first was in 2011, and that was the International Cup where it was split between Sydney and Melbourne. So we got to experience about 10 days in each city. Um, just a great time. It is, again, one of those competitions that, as an amateur player, there's probably not many things that, in in the team, in the world of team sports, that can compare to that tournament. You know, if you want to challenge yourself, step up to it. You know, you have 24 to 28 teammates from across the U.S. that have tried out, given everything they had financially and time and the commitment to being a better athlete is just when it comes together. And I think the pinnacle of my international footy career was playing South Africa at ANZ Stadium in Sydney. We upset South Africa. And this is the stadium that years back it was the host of the 400-meter track in the Olympics, mm. in the Sydney Olympics. So since then the track was ripped out. It has turned into an oval or a footy field. And we got to play as a curtain raiser before the St. Kilda Swans game. So I think that was just a wonderful experience and you know, something I always look back at and enjoy, and you can never take that away from anyone. I remember really quickly, I remember Ryan McGettigan, who, longtime uh, Philadelphia Hawk player, now playing in L.A. for the Dragons, telling me that that was the, the best field that he had ever played, not just footy, but any sport. Is that is that how you feel? Right. It, you know, it's, it. I guess... You probably can't compare it to the MCG, but it was, yeah, better than any golf course I'd been on. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, yeah, wonderful place. Now, uh, what was the one thing that you took the most from that? Uh, again, just uh, similar to the 
in playing for Denmark. What was the the one thing that you took with that uh, for the rest of your footy career, that opportunity to play for the national team? You know, you can be so prepared mentally and physically to play a footy game, but there's nothing that you can prepare yourself when it takes heart. You get down there, you pull on the red, white, and blue. It is, that's all that matters right then and there. Right. And when that game's over, it doesn't matter what your mind felt like or how much you remember the game or how burnt out your body is or how cramped up you were halfway through the third quarter. Like, when you play with your heart, I think there's just so much more gained and so much more that's, like, left on the field and you just played beyond your abilities, really. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, with all the stuff going on right now with with, with the COVID va- uh, pandemic, I know that the freeze are, are just like all the other clubs, they're working and trying to stay active. And I know you were mentioning to me before we before we began here that um, the uh, that the freeze had trained as they had in past years or there or they were pre- preparing to train uh, in the dome at the University of Minnesota. What are you guys doing now during this pause to stay sharp from a footy sense? Um, the yeah, we had the one session at the U of M dome. The next two are canceled with the pandemic, but since we've had uh, we've been going on about eight weeks of every Saturday morning what what we have, footy chat so we have an hour-long session with coach and with different footy topics being it tackling handballing picking the footy up off the ground game plays or strategies yeah we're just going through different things on zoom so it's an open invite to the club there's not um not everyone's there every weekend. We, you know, people are still living their lives in other ways. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun way to get together, um, stay in touch, see each other's faces from afar, and a few of us here and there are getting out for runs or little hit sessions in the park, and just keeping groups small and keeping space. Yep. It's all you can do at this point. Uh, we have time for one last question, and I'm, I told you before this that this would be a fun question and that I would figure out what it, is, what it was before we got here. Um, you've played football all over the, all over the country and, and, and in Australia as well. Um, aside from the MCG, because everybody wants to play at the MCG, where would you where have you never played footy never played a game of footy uh in the u.s and australia wherever that you would you would give whatever you were willing to give to play uh just one time that's a tough question but you know i was just back to australia in uh january and february for a mate's wedding so we're down to sydney and then i did a road trip to melbourne Visited some acquaintances and friends and footy contacts that I met through Tony Fairhead. 
and I was to Bendigo for my first time. Country town, Victoria, a few hours north of Melbourne. And there are some beautiful footy grounds in Bendigo. I I, I think that would be fun to uh, be a country uh, local footy legend and just get to have a career there or even one game. I've heard very nice things about Bendigo, and that's out, uh, uh, especially a lot of places. And I know that you were on that team in 14 that got the opportunity to play at Montrose, and I have to imagine that it, that it mm. has to be right up there too. Exactly. Yep. There you go. A very comparable fields, I'd imagine. So. Yeah. I only took a picture from outside of the ground, and but yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's those local leagues are something else in uh, foot. Australia. Awesome, mate. Well, listen, thanks so much for, for chatting with us and uh, uh, best of luck to you in the freeze the rest of the season. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see you back out there on the field here in 2020. Cheers. Thank you, Bearish. Thanks, Murgo. Uh, we're going to step aside and come right back. When we do, we're going to be talking with Caitlin Masher-Mace of the Denver Lady Bulldogs. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. Australian rules football in the U.S.? That's right. The United States Australian Football League is in a city near you. Go to USAFL.com. Find your team. Check them out. We're a group full of men and women just like you. Join us for the fun athletic competition. Stay for the camaraderie. We want the champion! Log on and sign up to join your team at USAFL.com. Though the San Francisco Iron Maidens have done their darndest to catch up with them, the Denver Lady Bulldogs' six national championships between 2010 and 2015 is still the gold standard for the women's division of the USAFL. Now, those teams, as do the Lady Bulldogs of today, are a team of many diverse characters. One of those characters is Caitlin Masher-Mace, whose six-foot, four-inch frame has been a fixture of Denver's forward line for nearly a decade. Here to talk about her many talents on and off the ground is the aforementioned Caitlin Masher-Mace. Thanks for joining us on the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast, Caitlin. How are you? Good. Thanks, Brian. I'm good. <laughs> you like that? That was a good. In- that was a good intro. <laughs> I'm only six two, though. I just everyone thinks I'm that bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you play like you're six four. <laughs> I appreciate that. No worries. Um, so uh, we'll start with the obvious. How did you get into Australian rules football, and what drew you to it? So it's kind of an interesting story. Um. In 2013, I was between oil field consulting jobs, and there had been kind of a downfield down turn in the oil industry. And so myself and one of my best friends were sitting at his house, um, basically doing nothing at two in the afternoon. And it was during the NAB Cup, and he got a free subscription to the AFL. And uh, this friend's quite into different sports, and so I was sitting and watching this, going, "This looks amazing." And so I Googled it on. Uh, my iPad at the time, and there was a team in Denver, so, so I looked them up, shot them an email, and they let me know when practice was, and that's that's how I got into it. Now, what was it about the game that drew you in? I know it looked very interesting, but was there anything specific about it that you were just like, I need to do this? Uh, I think a lot of it was just the physicality of it, and I was kind of coming off of a weird point of my life athletically. I had been a pretty high-level lacrosse player out of college, and then post-collegically, 
and I had reached the peak of what I could do in that sport, and I was kind of on the downslide. And at that time, I was quite large. I was well over 300 pounds. And so I wanted to do something to really make me be more active, and I saw the amount of running and the amount of work that that took. So I kind of just figured it would be perfect. And plus, I could run people over, and I'm still okay at that, I think. <laughs> You, you you seem very um, what's the word enthusiastic whenever you see somebody get the ball. I I, I notice that you you can even from up in the broadcast booth, your eyes seem to light up uh, whenever whenever you have the opportunity to tackle somebody. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now you mentioned very briefly your sporting background, and we're going to touch on one aspect of it a little bit later on. But talk about your sporting background. You mentioned that you played lacrosse, but you also played other sports growing up as well. Yeah, um, I was a varsity golf in high. I did varsity golf in high school. I raced motorcycles, uh, so I did motocross for years, and long distance enduro racing uh, on motorcycles as well. Uh, a lot of lacrosse, um, some softball. Basically, if you could play it, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> And when there, there's one specific sport that we'll talk about in just a little bit. We'll come back to that. <laughs> I, you know what it is, but but but, but, but I want to ask this: is is now you you're you've played all these sports before, and now you're playing footy. Is there anything from that experience that you drew upon and and, and think to yourself, man, I, I can draw upon these skills that feel very familiar and and kind of make that into shape that into how I play this new game. Uh, I think lacrosse was honestly the biggest influence in how I play footy, especially even as a full forward, because I found that my position in lacrosse, I was a goaltender. Um, and as the goalie in lacrosse, you basically manage the field, or at least your side of the field. And you get very good at looking at patterns of player movement and where there's space and everything else. And as a full forward... I did a lot of that same sort of thing where I'm looking at these patterns and I understand spacing out very well, um, sliding with the ball, sliding against the ball. And I think that transferred really, really well. So it wasn't as much a physicality thing as it was a way to visualize the field thing. Now, you mentioned earlier about your weight and there was a really good article done, I think, back in 2015 by the local magazine in Denver, Westward. And I remember very vividly one of the lines uh, there is that the game saved your life, that, that the game of Aussie rules football saved your life. I, I want you to touch on that really quickly because that re was really profound to me. And I know that, you know, we had Nick Plaisance a little bit early on uh, a few weeks ago in, in on the show and, and talking about his take a minute campaign about mental health. And I know that, uh, you had mentioned that that footy was a part of that, of you regaining your your confidence, not just physically, but also helping with your mental health as well. Yeah. So prior to um, 2014, I'd worked in the oil field um, all across the world, and part of what I did, I actually became a little bit too much of a workaholic. And in order to help drive that forward, I became a very heavy smoker. Um. And I don't know how many people are familiar with hookah or shisha, but I was good for smoking one to two bowls of shisha a day since I graduated college. And so that was nearing eight, nine years at that point. And um, so when I realized I had the opportunity to join uh, the USA Liberty 
um, in Australia to play in the International Cup in 2014, I quit something that I hadn't been able to quit cold turkey. And I worked and worked and worked and worked and ended up dropping... I went from about 315 at the end of Nationals in 2013, and I was right around 220 when I um, went to Australia in 2014. And mm -hmm. so it kind of was this catalyst event that made me change who I am. And it's it's actually driven forward. I haven't smoked since the beginning of 2014, um, although the cravings are still there. Nicotine's, uh, nicotine's mean. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it was one of these things that, made me realize that I could grab a hold of and gain this confidence and be able to look in the mirror again. I was terrified of mirrors. I was terrified to go out. I hadn't been in a swimming pool in seven or eight years just based on the fact that I didn't want all that I was out in public. And uh, footy gave me the drive to lose the weight and to feel a lot more healthy about myself. And I know that's a story that I know others will, 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 I think, really embrace because I know that a lot of people join have joined this sport uh, to really um, get the opportunity to make themselves better. And I think your story is is, is amazing. And, and, and you mentioned playing in the 2014 International Cup. I'd like to hear some of your stories about that. Playing for the USA Liberty, it was only the second time that the women's competition was contested, uh, and you played for a Liberty side that uh, didn't win any games, unfortunately, but I, I think really showed the impact considering that you were basically a second side and you were a, a pretty competitive side. Talk about that experience for me. Yeah, uh, for me, it was a really interesting experience because I ended up playing a position I had never played before. Um, I spent the entire tournament as the ruck for the Liberty um, huh. and actually made the front of World Footy News and um, had an amazing time. The city of Melbourne did an amazing job welcoming us and making us feel like we were part of something truly special. Uh, I, I will say one of the most hair-raising events I've ever experienced in my life was walking into the MCG for the Parade of Nations. I don't know if I can ever equal that experience, or the, the way that experience felt, at least. Um, but playing against teams like Fiji and Canada and Ireland especially, Ireland was great. We did that in the local round where we were actually out uh, with a local club. I've made a lot of friends in Australia that I still uh, talk to to this day. So it was a really great experience, and even though we didn't win any games, uh, it was a really, really hard and rough tournament. Um, the only downfall of that tournament is I actually did end up in the hospital with a pretty wicked concussion. Oh, and no. uh, yeah, one of my teammates ended up with a pretty wicked scar from my head. So <laughs> <laughs> all in all, it was a win. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and I'm sure your teammates back in Denver, see, we told you you were hard headed. <laughs> uh, I think that was a pretty well known fact by that point. <laughs> Well, that's a hell of a segue. Um, well, let's talk about your teammates in Denver. Yeah. Um, you know, you had the opportunity, like you mentioned, you came in uh, towards the end of that run, but you were still a very important part of uh, what is still uh, the the best run, I think, that any team has ever had at any division, men's or women's, six straight national championships. And you think about those teams, uh, Lindsey Kastanek, Kelly Kastanek as well, both of them have since retired, and a Thexton who's still a, a current member of the team, and there's a number of others that have come and gone. Um, uh, talk about what 
being a part of those teams were like. They were a very determined side, and I remember that uh, there was a very quiet confidence about them, the feel, feeling that they could go out onto the field against any team and win. I think that team, especially the 2013 and 2014 teams, had just this obscene level of pure athletic talent dripping from every every position. We were never really weak anywhere. And... It was I, I honestly felt really lucky to get part, to be part of that team and to be a big part of some of the wins. Um, but they were the kind of athletes that I wanted to be good for. So how good they were and how hard they drove themselves helped me to drive myself to a level that actually helped us be more competitive and. Yeah, I mean, playing with uh, Twania Clark and uh, Jessica Gray and Hallie and Lindsay and um, Ty Streff, they were all just these amazing, amazing athletes and really helped me want to be a better athlete. Um, and I'm really lucky that I still get to play with Anna and Jess Gray. Um, they're both just obscenely amazing athletes to this day, so... They are, and, and, and they're a part of a side, and you are too, that, uh, you know, those, those halcyon days have passed, and uh, you, you, you guys were competitive over the last couple of years. Last year was a, was a rebuilding year, um, but the Bulldogs had been through that period of turnover, and you were able to recruit new players, and now you have a, a, a team that is very young, uh, relatively inexperienced, but it has to give you some solace, the fact that it shows that the team is sustainable and you are able to bring this fresh blood and this fresh enthusiasm into the sport. And yeah, I'll be honest, the team that we have today is probably more enthusiastic uh, to be part of the team and to be part of the sport than we may have ever been during our best years. Um, these girls are super excited to be out there and have formed a tight bond within them that really will help drive the Bulldogs program forward when I'm done. And once a lot of us have retired, these girls will be the core of what makes the Denver Bulldogs for the next 10 years. And I'm really excited to see the legacy of what we all worked and built for continue on. So, I mean, I, I hopefully have a couple more years left in me, but it will be up to them to, you know, carry on the banner of not only past Bulldogs, but future Bulldogs. Now, I know you're involved uh, at the administrative level with the Bulldogs now. What are you guys doing during this time? Uh, I know that you're busy as well uh, on the front lines of this as well because you're a, uh, you're a paramedic. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a paramedic. I'm actually uh, a flight paramedic, but I'm working on the ground right now um, in uh, Weld County, which is north of Denver. Um, but no, as a team, we're doing Zoom meetings, we're having Zoom parties, uh, they're doing socially distanced trail runs, um, where you actually keep an ex extreme amount of social distance with proper masking, and other sort of things that promote physicality and wellness during this very trying and unique time. So uh, it's been really driven forward by some of the newer members of the team that have helped us uh, grow during this. We actually have more people now than we did three months ago, which is kind of great. 
it's 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 interesting to to hear how different teams are are coping with this, and you know it's great to hear that uh, you guys have this new uh, I guess enthusiasm during what is what you mentioned a really difficult time. Um, so let, I want to talk about you and your sporting background and some of your other interests, which I find to be absolutely fascinating. So I mentioned there was one sport that we haven't talked about that you are uh, you at one time were a nationally ranked sumo wrestler. Now, sumo is a sport that most people, they have this uh, picture in their mind of these big Japanese dudes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I've... <laughs> oh, sumo. Uh... <laughs> I yeah. warned you this was coming. <laughs> yeah, I should have known. Um yeah, no, I started uh, doing sumo in 2016, and uh, it was kind of a fluke. I got invited out to a tournament, that I had, and I had never done it before. And uh, I put on a mawashi, which is the, um, the belt. It's literally just a 40-foot piece of what is basically fire hose that you wrap around yourself very tightly. <laughs> And um, went out and placed second in a world tournament. That's so, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, in the heavyweight division. And the interesting thing about amateur sumo is it actually is weight classed out. And um, on the women's side, it's very much biased towards the lighter weights. And so heavyweight is anything over 176 pounds, mm. which is quite light. And so you get within the heavyweight realm women that weigh 350 or 400 pounds versus some like myself um, that are right there at the high 100s, low 200s. And so it's it's a lot like the Japanese pro level of sumo. Um, but in the middleweight and lightweights, it actually resembles a lot more like judo. Um, and amateur sumo has a lot of the traditions that likely... Um, are closer to what sumo would have been 150 or 200 years ago prior to it becoming professional. Hmm. But I yeah, I was the, I was the U.S. national champion uh, for some time, and uh, yeah, uh, I lost a little bit more weight in 2018 and lost that crown. Um, as it turns out, you can only be so light and heavyweight before people start beating you. <laughs> But, funny, funny how that works. Yeah, kind of strange, but it was it's fun. It's it's really fun, and uh, when I participate in the U.S. Open, I'm in front of a crowd of almost ten thousand people, so it's definitely a hair raving experience to have ten thousand people cheering as you're locked toe to toe with girls from all over the world. I mean, I've wrestled against Mongolians and Europeans and Japanese and other Americans, and it's been it's been really fun. Um, I'm hoping to do it again once the uh, COVID crisis is over. Did it, did you draw on some of your footy experience for that? Because I can I can picture you j just shedding someone off like you would in the forward line to go after a to go after a lead. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think keeping my center of gravity down, um, which is one of the things I do when I'm shoving off, uh, helped me in sumo a little bit. And just the fact that I know I can take a hit really hard um, <laughs> helps. So. Yeah, there's a little crossover. Um, there's a picture of me from the 2014 Nationals where, or no, it must have been 2016, where my leg's up in the air. It looks like I'm actually doing a sumo pose. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Now, yeah. now speaking of the Japanese culture, uh, you and your wife, Karen, are, are very much into uh, the culture of that country. And um, I, I must say it's nice to be able to talk to somebody who knows uh, a fair bit about the Nippon pro baseball, but uh, <laughs> you were, you were go fighters, in, go, <laughs> go Eagles. Um, <laughs> you were in Japan. Uh, so you missed regionals in 2019 because you were actually in Japan. Um, wh what were you doing there? Tell us. Yeah. So um, I'm going through a bit of a career transition right now. Um, and in July of 2019, I was in Kyoto, Japan, getting ordained in the Honganji-ha sect of Jodo Shinshu Buddhism. So I am actually an ordained Jodo Shinshu Buddhist priest. Um, when I'm not playing footy, I'm actually Reverend Caitlin Masher Mace of the Tri-State Denver Buddhist Temple. I'm uh, interning there right now. Um, and I still work on the ambulance right now to pay for graduate school. So I'm a master's student at the Institute of Buddhist Studies, which is in Berkeley, California. And um, like any other graduate student, I have to pay this all. So once I complete my master's degree, I will likely be moving on to a full-time ministry position uh, somewhere here in the United States. There's uh, 56 different Jodo Shinshu temples here in the United States. And so I may be placed at one of those different temples. Do you draw upon that? And, and I know that different religions have different teachings and different ways for you to, uh, I guess, center yourself. Is there is there anything you've learned from that that you've uh, drawn towards your athletic experience, I guess, in, in how you handle mentoring situations or, uh, you know, relationship with teammates or anything like that? Yeah, um, so within Jodo Shinshu Buddhism, we tend to look outside of ourselves a lot and accept ourselves who we are as who we are. So um, there's a word called bombu, and bombu literally means foolish being. And so when I think of myself now, especially as I've studied the teachings of Shinran Shonen and the Buddha more, um, I would say I am a foolish being, and that's just like my base state. And so that gives me permission to fail. Not saying that failure is a good state, but rather I'm human and I'm limited, so thusly I will fail in something. But I can still keep trying. I can fail more than once. And I think that's a good thing to teach young footy players. It's okay to mess up because that's just who you are but it's also very good to continue to try I, I think that's really good advice and it's and it's interesting to you know you 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 learn these different things from different aspects of of the world and different cultures and whatnot and it's amazing how that can you can just boil it down to just that which which i think we can all kind of take not only in in football but i but i think in our lives uh, in general um, we have time for one more question, and I've been kind of sitting here. I've, I've had kind of a blank uh, uh, here, um, but uh, let, let, let's go with this. Um, you've obviously played for, for some time. Um, what is your uh, favorite memory in the game of Aussie rules? So my favorite memory, I've probably got two if I can do two. Absolutely. Um, I make the rules here. 
2013, um, my first Nationals, I think we were playing against San Francisco. Uh, so I didn't know that much. Like I had, you know, gone and done practice and everything, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at the time was bizarre. Um, I caught a mark above the 50 line, about five or six meters above the 50 line, and then drove a goal home. And I didn't realize that that was an odd thing to kick a goal from 50, 55, 60 meters out mm-hmm. until after the game when uh, we were doing our team awards and the coach at the time, Bruce, said, and, you know, here's an award for Caitlin who kicked the absolute furthest goal I have ever seen <laughs> in women's footy. And I was like, wait, seriously? <laughs> I didn't know. But, it, I mean, you know, I'm six foot two and at the time was over 300 pounds. I was putting a lot of Delta V into that football. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, you know, is what it is. Um, By the way, points the, to you for using the term Delta V. <laughs> well, I mean, my original education is in engineering. So I love it. And I mean, great news. I found out today that my second patent was approved. So that's super Woo! cool. I know it's totally, it's non-sequitur, but you know. No, nothing uh, wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my second one would probably be playing in the International Cup um, against Fiji. I had gotten hit pretty hard in the in the face and was actually bleeding and had to come out of the game. And um, I <laughs> I got I weaseled my way back in uh, by getting the physio to let me go. And... I went up against the girl that was rocking, and I don't think I've ever jumped this high in my life. Uh, there's a picture, and I'm a solid like two and a half feet up in the <laughs> air, and I connected with that ball so hard, I must have driven it 20, 30 feet, and it's <laughs> like the best ruck tap I will ever have in my life because it was just pure like I can't believe I got hit in the face by this girl that's you know a solid foot shorter than me. So, <laughs> but. Yeah, that was great. I mean, in all the times we won nationals and all the camaraderie I had with those teams that won nationals, um, you know, it was, all those moments are great. I, I don't know um, I don't know if there's really a best moment. Those are just the ones that stick out. That's and honestly, fine. honestly, all the time I spent with the other girls from the other teams, too. Um, meeting amazing people like Bretto from San Francisco. Um, you know, these are all just amazing people, and I, I am so happy and lucky to have gotten to play against them. I remembered my original question. I'm going to give you 20 seconds to, 20 seconds to answer this one. Okay. Um, all these sports that you've played, and you, I know there's a bunch you haven't played. Is there one sport that you've never played that you would love, like to give a try in 20 seconds or less? Oh. I stumped her. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. <laughs> um, uh, snowcross. I would actually would really like to race snowmobiles. That's I think on the up up on the list. Oh, that no no no. I actually have the real answer. Okay. Um, I would absolutely love to do a transatlantic, uh, single-handed sailboat race. That sounds oh, nice. amazing. Ooh. That. Good, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll never do it, but it's on the list of things. <laughs> like no, if I had one sport, that that might be it. That's awesome. Yeah, no. I, I, for somebody who has an, an eclectic, uh, I guess, background and taste as you do, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. But <laughs> Caitlin Masher Mace of the Denver Lady Bulldogs, thanks for uh, chatting with us about uh, everything. Best of luck uh, with all your endeavor, all your endeavors, not just uh, not just with footy, but with everything else. And uh, good luck as we uh, go towards a, a resumption of play here in 2020. Thank you, Brian.
And that'll do it for another episode of the Marks and Stripes USAFL podcast. As we remind you each week, if you want to find out more about the sport of Australian rules football and about the clubs here in the USA, you can find us on our website, usafl.com, and you can follow us on social media on facebook.com slash usafl and on Twitter and Instagram at usafl1997. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at Barish USAFL. That's B-A-R-R-I-S-H USAFL. Our thanks to Brett Mergen from Minnesota and to Caitlin Masher Mays from Denver and our thanks to you as always for joining us and keeping us company for the last 56 minutes we'll be back with a fresh episode next week until then my name is Brian Barish be safe be well and I'll talk at you next time